0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: So here we are, my love.
1: Yes. So happy to be back with everyone.
0: A little late getting to the studio this morning because...
1: Mm, Our refrigerator died. Ah, discovered in a very sad way, which was...
0: I love cold milk on my cereal in the morning. So much so that I put the milk in the back of the fridge where it's... Cold as possible. The coldest possible spot. Yeah. (laughs) I was taking my first bite and you walked in the kitchen and you said, what? I just had this look of dismay on my face. It was
1: definite dismay.
0: And I said, the milk is warm. Oh, no. And then we heard that our daughter, Beth, had been making a smoothie that morning and the blueberries from the freezer were soft and we are like, uh-oh. Oh, no, not we, good. We thought this one was going to die two years ago, so yeah, we had a good I life. know,
1: we have that feeling. Okay, we had this fridge for 15 years, that was really good and time for a new one. So anyway, it took a little time to clear it out and move things to our back. Here we are. It
0: reminds me, remember, <laughs> oh, man, we, we were on a trip. Uh, to Pennsylvania when we were living in Denver and we got back to our house.
1: Oh, that was terrible. Late at night. Ugh. That was horrible. With three little children, and we walk in the house, and the
0: fridge had been dead for about a week while we were gone, and the frozen oh, chicken man. and everything—it smelled like death. That was so sad. Thank you to my friend Matt Dalton, who picked us up at the airport that night and stayed for an extra couple of hours and cleaned out the stench of death yeah. from our house. Anyway. That's not what you guys wanted to no, know. No, here, here we are. Here we are talking about, about our, our fridge. But now we're going to talk about your questions. Exactly.
1: Thank you for all the questions. Thanks, everyone. Shall I go right yeah, ahead? Yeah, let's do it. We have a question from Taryn. She says, "My husband and I have been asked to give a talk on natural family planning to a group of couples preparing for marriage. What wisdom can you share from the TOB?" That might add some fuel to our fire.
0: Mm. We have lots of uh, memories here, don't we, Love? Absolutely. Of marriage prep, and when I was teaching marriage prep for the Archdiocese of Denver, this was twenty years ago. I would get these knots in my stomach. Oh, you know, you're throwing yourself to the lions. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I remember one time. Oh mercy! I my stomach was in such knots. It was 10 minutes into the marriage prep weekend and I knew I had to be on the toilet in 30 seconds or it was, <laughs> I had this horrible, horrible diarrhea. And I just said to the group uh, as 10 minutes into the whole weekend, I said, I think we all need a break. <laughs> and I, I ran to the toilet, which just happened to be right off the room. And I'm sure the whole marriage prep room heard it.
1: That was sad. Okay, please don't be stressed. You don't have to be that concerned.
0: (laughs) Bless you, bless you, bless you. We know what it's like to do marriage prep. What wisdom can we share? Well, from the theology of the body, there is so much could be said. Uh, It could be a doctoral dissertation, but in the next few moments, just some food for thought. First of all, I, I would say this. We need to be convinced in our bones that we have a message to share with these couples, that if they were to open their hearts to it, would be the path that leads them to the joy they really desire. I I often say to people, you know, if I had a million dollar bill in one hand and a counterfeit million dollar bill in the other, which one would you want? Obviously we want the real thing. But what if you were raised in a culture that incessantly bombarded you with propaganda, convincing you the real thing is the counterfeit and the counterfeit is the real Mm -hmm. thing. I don't know if there is a more important teaching to convey to couples than the difference between contraception and natural family planning. And and here's why, not because uh, it's just a technique that will help you like learn NFP and your marriage is going to be great. No, 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 no. But it's, If you allow what NFP demands of you, if you allow what practicing natural family planning will demand of you in terms of an interior conversion of your heart, it's that interior conversion that natural family planning calls us to that is the most important thing, because it's calling us to the truth of love. And the truth of love is what we all desire. That's why we get married. We want to love and be loved, but we don't know what that means because we've been wrongly educated to think the counterfeit version of the story is the real thing, and the real thing is the counterfeit.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that is especially helpful when you have a witness couple sharing with the engaged couples is that you have the opportunity to give flesh to how is the meaning of the marital embrace made real when you use natural family planning? How do you experience that as the true meaning of self-gift. It's the expression of what JP2 calls the spousal meaning of the body. Um, And, but how do you as a couple experience that? If you can share that with the couples, the sad thing would be if they left thinking, well, this is a new rule I didn't know I had to follow instead of here's an opportunity to express what I truly am called to and want to express in my marriage.
0: So if I could say just a word about theology of the body and the light it shines, and then maybe, Wendy, you could, could help take the conversation in the direction of what you and I have experienced as a married couple practicing natural family planning and our own story here. But theologically, the body reveals the mystery of God. Our, that's, that's the basic principle of theology of the body. Our bodies reveal something divine. Our bodies tell a divine love story. And that, that love story is about life-giving love. God's love is generous. God's love generates. And that's why God gave us genitals, mm-hmm. so we could participate in his generous, generating love. Uh, to render the act sterile, which is what we're doing when we contracept, we're engaging in that act that's meant to generate life, but we're doing something else to thwart it. So we're, we're activating the life-giving process, but then we're saying, no, no, we don't want it to have its effect. We're inserting precisely that. We're inserting a no. We're inserting a, a no where there should be a yes. We're, we're inserting a I'm not giving myself when we're meant to be saying I am giving myself. Sexual union is meant to be the renewal and the expression of, of wedding vows. And the vows we make at the altar are to love one another freely and totally, and faithfully and fruitfully no couple wants to be in a marriage where they're being regularly unfaithful to their wedding vows no but this is what is actually happening when we render the sexual act sterile with natural family planning <clears throat> excuse me we're honoring the way god made our bodies and we are not inserting a no into the sexual act we're saying I love the fact that if we had sex tonight, you could become pregnant. I love that God made you this way. I love that God made me this way. But we have a good reason not to bring a baby into the world right now. So we're not going to come together. It's the difference between telling a lie and remaining silent. So the couple who's abstaining to avoid a child, they're remaining silent. Mm -hmm. The couple who's who's engaging in the act but then rendering it sterile, they're actually inserting a no into into their gift. And, and that's a, a contradiction of the commitments that they made to love in the image of God. So that's a little bit of the theology. We could say much more about that, but we don't want to go down that trail right now because it'll take up the whole show. But I think more importantly is for us as a couple, we've been married. Uh, we're in our 24th year of marriage. That's right. We were married in 1995. Mm-hmm. So this this year will be 24 years of marriage. What have we experienced as a couple? Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think from the very beginning, and I think engaged couples, this might be something that they would appreciate reflecting on. For us, we also had not only the gift of using NFP from the beginning, but of having waited to consummate our union until we were married. And so for us, I think... We already had an experience that maybe not all engaged, I no not all, all engaged couples have, which was that self-restraint was also already a very real expression of love right. in our experience because that had been, you know, our experience during our engagement was to ch- freely choose out of love for one another, not to respond to all the urges that yeah. our bodies would give us because we wanted to be truthful. We want to honor one another. We want to honor the Lord and how he made us and the meaning of the sexual act. So I think sometimes engaged couples need to be made aware that that self-restraint is not saying, I don't get to show my love to you, but it's a beautiful,
0: noble showing of my love for you. Any married couple knows that Abstain, abstaining from sexual union can be a profound act of love. There are many, many, many occasions in married life where we might want to renew our wedding vows through coming together in one flesh, but love demands we abstain. I, I mean, what if you're sick? What if it's after childbirth? What if, I often joke, what if you're at the in-laws and there are thin walls? Uh and what if you have a serious reason to avoid a child? If you can't abstain in these situations, then I would suggest your love is called into question. And, and the fact that we, we didn't come together until we were married in our sexual embrace, that was because you and I had already been challenged to embrace the full demand Absolutely, of love and of had course. had a conversion here. But the good news is that conversion can happen at, at any point of someone's life. Yes even if you you didn't save yourself for marriage, even if you're 10 or 12 or 20 years married already and have been contracepting the whole time, there's always, always the opportunity to, and as John Paul II says, we can always be, our hearts can always be changed from lust to love if we are willing to go through that inner conversion. And mm-hmm. it's that inner conversion that is at the foundation of the love we really desire, and that whole idea of, of the counterfeit versus the real thing, I know in in our experience, mm-hmm. the ability to abstain, we've both experienced as proof of the other's love. Yes, I remember one time in our married life, we were we had already had two children, mm-hmm. and we were deeply desiring a third. Right, and we were not. Yeah. Uh, Abstaining because we were trying to conceive.
1: Right. But the conception didn't come, you know, easily that time. Yes. It was
0: months and months of trying. Mm -hmm. And I started to notice that you were very interested in uniting when you were fertile and other times of the month, not so much. Right. And I began to feel then, and this is the reverse because it's usually the woman feels used by the man. But I was beginning to wonder, are you, are you desiring me or are you just desiring... Mm -hmm to get pregnant mm-hmm. through me. Mm-hmm. And remember that well, that night, what happened?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, during the fertile time that we decided to abstain, which was a real sacrifice, you know, for especially my heart that was desiring this baby, but as a way of showing love for you. Yeah,
0: it was getting to a point where I, I felt kind of objectified and and I was actually wanting to talk to you about it, but you came to me because you were feeling the same thing. I remember feeling so loved by you. You said, you said honey, I don't, I don't know that we should come together tonight, even though it's peak fertile time, and you were so desiring another child, but you said, I want to show you that I really love you. And of course I said, oh, don't worry, of course I know you, love. Well, let's come together. <laughs> no, to <get> you <laughs> didn't,
1: no, you didn't.
0: No, I didn't, but that's what people would expect, right? No, but I really, really, really felt your love for me in your ability to abstain when you would have preferred otherwise. And, and it goes the other way too. A woman, I think, knows she's loved by her husband when he demonstrates, I'm willing to abstain uh, to honor the way God made your body.
1: Right. I think, Taryn, too, just as you're sharing with these couples and anybody who's in this role, couples will... Smell it if you are not being honest. Mm-hmm. So you know to pretend that using natural family planning is 100% easy, I think would not be truthful and wouldn't be serving the couple. So I I think that in theology of the body, we're we're recognizing you know that we are historical man. We are in the place of the struggle. And the effort to be open to grace and to continue to experience the redemption that Christ offers us. And there's nothing wrong with sharing that honestly, especially if there's hope and sincere growth and love that the couples see.
0: I love what Dr. Greg Popcheck says here. He says, uh, if you're experiencing abstinence in practicing natural family planning as really, really difficult It doesn't mean something's going wrong. It means NFP is doing its job, and you're not experiencing an urge that you have to gratify. You're you're experiencing uh, a need for purification from an urge that, in this instance, you're not meant to gratify out of love for your spouse, Mm -hmm. and that calls us to self mastery. And without self mastery, love is not possible. I often ask my audiences. And I'll say, guys, pay attention to the lady's answer here. And I'll say, ladies, how many of you want to be married to a man who cannot say no to his sexual desires? I've asked hundreds of thousands of women that question over the years, and never has a hand gone up. Uh, w- there's an intuition, especially in a woman's heart, that if, if a man cannot say no to his sexual desires, his yes means nothing. It's the other way, too. If a woman cannot say no, her yes means nothing. So the reason NFP is so important, the difference between contraception and natural family planning, it's not a technique. It's not natural versus artificial. It's love versus lust. Hmm. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. It's the call to love. If we just embrace NFP as a as a mere technique and we're still indulging our lust, well, then it's we're not really letting NFP call us to the truth of love. So Go in there with boldness and with confidence Mm -hmm. that you are holding out to these couples the pathway to the love they really and truly desire. And if you want to learn more about the difference here between contraception and natural family planning, uh, I'd urge you to read the the brand new edition of Good News About Sex and Marriage, Chapter 6.
1: Okay. We have another question. This question was um, submitted by Catherine. She says, my question is, how do we begin to teach this information to young children? What practical words of wisdom do you have from your experience with your wonderful children?
0: Bless you, Catherine. It's such an important question, and I'd say it's probably one of the most popular questions that I get when I'm on the road giving talks and seminars. And, and all we can do here is provide a little bit of food for thought. I'm thinking of some documents that we'll certainly put links to in the show notes. One would be The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality from the Pontifical Council for the Family. And then the subtitle of that is Guidelines for Education Within the Family. And then a book I'd recommend. Again, I mentioned Dr. Greg Popchak. He and his wife Lisa wrote a book called Beyond the Birds and the Bees, which I'd, I'd highly recommend. Uh, so those are some resources for you. But I want to draw out a line from that document, The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, from the Pontifical Council for the Family. And they say there that education in God's plan for making us male and female should begin, drum roll please, in the womb. Wow. In the womb, at the moment of conception and should continue uninterrupted Mm. throughout the whole course of that child's life. So this flies in the face of the typical idea that you wait till this certain age, you say nothing, (laughs) and then you wait till this certain age to have some magical talk. Uh, No, 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 we're, we're, obviously, you don't share all the details and specifics until certain ages, but... We need to educate our children from the moment of conception on. And in fact, whether we know it or not, they are getting an education from the moment of conception on about what it means to be a boy or a girl, uh, why God made us this way. Whether Whether that's a good education or not, that's another question. So how can we ensure that they're getting an education from the first moment of their conception? That they are a gift, and that being a boy or a girl is a gift from God. We are not perfect at this. Uh, we have we have five children from age 21 down to 10. Uh, the first few have been our guinea pigs to learn the, the ways, <laughs> uh, the what to do, what not to do.
1: Hi, boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those are <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, John Paul and Thomas, thank you for bearing with us. Yes. In in the learning curve of being mom and dad, but I remember. You know, what we tried to do, I remember when you were first pregnant with our with our first, with John Paul, and I did it with all our kids, I would talk yeah. to the kids in your womb. Yes. I would, I, to our kids, they were our kids. Right. Uh, I would talk to to my child in the womb and I'd say, I am so glad you are here. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you came into the world through my love for your mom. And that kind of language continued and it became a prayer that we prayed with all our children and still pray with our, our children. Uh, any one of our children could recite it, I'm sure. It goes something like this. When I tuck the kids in for bed, I say thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for making mommy to be a woman. Thank you for making me to be a man. Thank you for calling us to the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for bringing John Paul and Thomas and Beth and Isaac and Grace into the world through our love. Mm -hmm. And then I say, thank you for making our boys to be boys, help them to grow into strong men to give their bodies away in love. I say, thank you for making our girls to be girls, help them to grow into strong women to give their bodies away in love. If they're called to marriage, please bless their future spouses. If they're called to enter even here and now the marriage of Christ and the church uh, and live in that celibate way, then prepare them for that gift Mm -hmm. of their bodies. There's been that kind of language and that kind of talk and that kind of prayer from the earliest of ages and stages in our kids' lives.
1: Yeah, I think also with young children, they are going to perceive our attitudes toward their bodies. You know whether we are affirming and comfortable with their bodies, um, especially you know during baths and
0: other diaper changes. Yes,
1: absolutely. So these are things for very young. Children that they're picking up on, they're, they're reading our signals that we're giving through the ways that we handle them. I mean, it's such a physical reality, caring for young children. I also remember a funny thing that happened with John Paul. I'm going to share this <laughs> little story when he was about three years old, I think. I hope I have that right. I might have the age wrong. I remember driving somewhere and, oh, okay, maybe he was four. He asked, um, Mommy, how did I get in your womb? And I told him, well, um, I think I was a little nervous, but I said something like, well, Papa planted the seed and God made you from my egg and Papa's seed. And he said, I came from a seed? (laughs) And I said, when Papa gave his body to me in love, that was when the seed was given. And he said, and that was the whole little conversation, right. and he moved on to something else. But I I loved that he asked that question, and we were able to just begin the conversation in that way at that age.
0: I've always thought, and we've shared this, of course, that if a child asks an honest question, they deserve an honest answer. It doesn't need to be too much information. You mm-hmm. didn't get into all the details of it Right, right. But you gave an honest answer to his honest question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think we serve our children If we say, you're too young to know that. Right. Uh, Obviously, they're too young to know certain details. Mm -hmm. But there's a way to tell the truth that doesn't go into all the details, but still paints a picture. I (laughs) I remember another story with John Paul. He was probably five. And um, he was taking a bath. I was giving him a bath. And he points to his testicles. He says, what are these? And I said, those are your testicles, bud. He said, what are they for? And I said okay, here we go. Honest question, deserves an honest answer. And I said, well, John Paul, when you get to be a man, your testicles are going to make seeds. And if you're called to be a husband and a father like I am, you're going to give your seeds to your wife. And he said, oh, and then a few days later, you remember this, he was driving in the van with you somewhere and and this comes up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He said something about it. What do you remember exactly? how He he says,
0: he says, Mommy, Papa told me that I have two nickels under my penis. (laughs) You said, two nickels? Are you sure he didn't say testicle? Oh, no, no, no. Papa told me I have two nickels down there. (laughs) And I've been making the joke for years years, to think that our son reduced the value of the family jewels to 10 cents. (laughs) So, in answer to your question... Look for look for those opportunities, look for those ways to share truthful, truthful answers to their honest questions and ways to affirm them being a boy, being a girl, diaper changes, baths, changing clothes, all these just normal ways that questions about our bodies come up. These are opportunities to heap on affirmation. I think that's so important if we're affirming our children in the goodness of their bodies, if we're laying out for them the beautiful, splendid, glorious vision that God has, that it's a good thing, a holy thing, a beautiful thing. I always would use big words like that with my kids. This is awesome. This is wonderful. This is beautiful, the way God made you. I think if we, if we lay out that beautiful vision to them, mm-hmm. we're setting them up to recognize the counterfeits. Yes. And we've seen that with our... kids as well. Absolutely. uh, They've obviously gone through all their own struggles. We can't spare our children those struggles, but we can prepare them. Put it this way, if we are not laying out for our children the beauty of God's banquet, then they're going to take their hunger somewhere else. Mm -hmm. What I call the fast food gospel, which is the culture's promise of immediate gratification of, of all our desires uh, that leads us down a really, really rotten path. That fast food is on display everywhere. If we tell them nothing, then they're going to go to the fast food. But if we lay out for them the beauty of God's banquet, then they're going to recognize more readily the deception of the fast food. Much more could be said, should be said, mm. uh, but for the sake of time and wanting to get to at least one more question before we call it a day. Uh, we should continue. Bless you, Catherine, for that question. Uh, Don't forget those resources that will be in the show notes. Oh, oh, there's one more resource. I gave a talk. What was that talk called? Um, I gave a talk to parents, which you can get on our website, called Beyond the Talk, uh, Sharing God's Plan for Sexuality with Your Children, which goes into like two hours' worth of suggestions on on how to share this with your kids.
1: Okay, last question is from Mark. He asks a deep question. It does relate to theology of the body, I'm sure, Mark. He asks cake or pie? <laughs> Which is the superior pastry? The world needs to know. <laughs>
0: the world needs to know. Okay, Mark, uh, let's see. Tie into theology of the body. Here's the tie in, right? Everything in creation is a sign that reveals. An infinite reality. And at the pinnacle of creation is not cake or pie, but our bodies. But here's the tie-in. We feed our bodies with cake or pie. The question yes. is, for me... Which is better? Which is better? hmm Well, it depends. I mean, there. if you're going to... Okay, I'll tell you my favorite cake is probably uh, this... Usually make it with pear, Wendy. What is that? cake that Jeanette gave us the recipe to
1: yeah it, it, I mean it's an apple cake but yeah it's full of fruit and we we do it with pears and yep.
0: cinnamon you need cinnamon
1: cinnamon really
0: delicious for me
1: believe me folks I'm taking notes gotta know what most blesses my husband <laughs> here
0: and then when it comes to pie Wendy you already know I my already know pie
1: Pecan pie.
0: Pecan it has pie. has to be pecan with pie. With lots of cinnamon. Yeah, we
1: add cinnamon to that add too. add cinnamon to
0: the pecan pie.
1: Cinnamon is good. The
0: cinnamon is good. So favorite cake would be this pear cake. Favorite pie would be this pecan pie. If I had to choose,
1: mm-hmm. if
0: both were put out on the table.
1: Mark, we really want to help you here. Yeah.
0: So Mark, if both were put out on the table, I would have to go with the pecan pie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you have a question for us or if you'd like to see show notes or leave us a review, you can go to askchristopherwest.com.
0: You can also, in giving us a review, you could put your question right in the review. That's a great way to make sure the questions get to us. Also, we are inviting you to take a free class, a free online course introducing you to some of the themes of the theology of the body. You can learn more about that at askchristopherwest.com forward slash free course.
1: Thanks so much for listening today. We really are grateful, especially for the questions and for the opportunity to share some thoughts with you.
0: Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next episode. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Education in God's plan for making us male and female should begin, drum roll please, in the back of the fridge where it's cold as possible. The coldest possible spot.
1: Yeah.